This is SciBite, episode 72, for November 27th, 2012. Hi everyone and welcome to SciBite, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly science podcast, fresh Wednesday mornings over at jupiterbroadcasting.com and of course live Tuesday nights at jblive.tv. My name is Chris and joining us every single week is our host, Heather. Hey there, Heather. Hey there, Chris. Hey Heather, happy science to you. Happy science. Well now, uh, we are back from a two-week vacation and uh, yes. some of us are a little weathered, but uh, hopefully we'll make it just fine. We have, I know we have a very exciting show coming up, Heather. Yes. So uh, I, I won't hold us back any further. I would love to catch up. I would love to, but I know there's too much news. So let's kick it off with our first news story. All right, Miss Mars right. Base, what is our first news story? All right. There is a new combination of HIV-1 antiviral ret- retroviral drugs out. Wow. So it's been found that... Uh, Over the course of time, various combinations of drugs have been used. Now, there is a new combination of five different antibodies that can effectively suppress HIV and keep, but what's different is they can actually keep the virus at bay for a 60-day period of time after you stop taking them. Oh. So, it's much longer half-light than all the drugs that are currently out there that require a daily intake. Mm -hmm. So, the potency of these antibodies were only recently discovered, but they were identified and cloned from HIV patients whose immune systems actually showed really high ability to neutralize the HIV. So they went to people who had the best immune systems against it. They kind of combined all that stuff to get all the antibodies that need. Hmm. Now, part of the treatment regimen, if this gets approved and can actually go, is possibly... um, you know, use the the daily intake to get it under control, and this is sort of a moderation while you're going. Okay. You know, get something under control, and this is continues on. Now, the big trick is this has only been in mice so far. Now, hmm. the jump between humans and mice isn't necessarily one to one, but the fact that it works is actually sort of encouraging. So they're looking to move these trials possibly figure out if you know this combination or an already established um, retroviral therapy is more effective or together but they're kind of hoping this will be a new treatment option that you know as I was saying maybe you need to take specific drugs or traditional drugs until it's under control and then receive these um, new antibodies to every two to three months even to maintain that control Mm, okay so you build up your initial resistance and then this keeps it up. Yeah. Hmm. That would be, you know, it's interesting to see how we, how we get, uh, we get closer to some of these advance, advancements by utilizing what appears to be for some whatever reason, people's innate ability to mm-hmm. resist the HIV virus. Yeah. Is that redundant to say HIV virus? 
I guess. I don't think so. Is that kind of like saying Nick card because it's network interface card? Anyways, I, I think I that's know. a very that's a very interesting angle of this whole problem to explore. Is that is that in sort of innate uh, immunity to it and taking mm-hmm. advantage of that just makes t- a ton of sense. Oh yeah, cool. you you know use what's there and kind of take it a bit farther. Yeah, exactly. All right, Heather. Well, any other thoughts on that one? No, I don't think so. All right. Well, uh, guess what? Right before we go. Uh, on the uh, live stream, uh, SciBite is live on Tuesdays at 7.30 p.m. Pacific over at jblive.tv or jblive.info for the audio. And uh, I was talking with the live stream. I realized I have been an Audible subscriber since 2007. And wow. I know, that's crazy, right? And I really, I don't talk about them nearly enough. And I don't, I definitely don't talk about them in proportion to how much I freaking love Audible. And I think that's because of the whole DRM situation. And I'm just, I'm not comfortable with it. And then I realized being a customer since 2007, it's never once been an issue for me. It's never, it's never hindered my use of the service. And these smartphone apps they have now are really fantastic. So I figured over the next few weeks, I might mention some of my favorite uh, Audible books, because I know while not everyone in the audience is an Audible fan, Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we have a few that follow it pretty closely and are curious about the books that I enjoy. And we have a link at the bottom of Jupiter Broadcasting. We'll also have links in the show notes. If you click those and it's your first Audible book, you'll get whichever one you want to pick. I'm going to talk about two today. You'll get them for free. And uh, if uh, if uh, you uh, cancel the service, you still get to keep the book. So it's worth checking out. Now, this first one I want to recommend, I'll just play a sample of it really quick. Uh, it's called Stormfront, The Dresden Files. It is a detective uh, noir type uh, series. It's a 14-part series. And it's really good. Good. I'll just play a little small portion of it here. Magic and the arcane that had been with them all the while, they still thought I must be some kind of joke. Anyway, it had been a slow month, a slow pair of months, actually. My rent from February didn't get paid until the 10th of March, and it was looking like it might be even longer until I got caught up for this month. My only job had been the previous week when I'd gone down to Branson, Missouri, to investigate a country singer's possibly haunted house. And it gets, uh, it's very interesting because it, since he's a detective and he gets hired on kind of these odd jobs, there's a lot of to play with. They're very good book and it's a 14-part series. It's really something you can get into. This one's eight hours. And, yeah, I know uh, the Dresden Files. Oh, you do? Yeah, yeah I, there was a TV show that I watched and actually I had family members yeah, yeah. that read that read the books yep. and highly recommended them. Yep. Oh, oh, so good. So good. I just finished this book. So I've already gotten book two because I have two credits a month now because this is the end of the year. And I just want to give a mention to one of my favorites this year, one of my all-time, probably, maybe in my life, just because of how good this book is, is, uh, and it was, it was, it was your recommendation, Heather, the uh, Thrawn trilogy. Oh, um, yes. The 20th anniversary edition, easy for me to say, is, is almost more like a radio drama on book, and it's done so well, and the acting and everything, and, and I'll just play a sample for you, then I have a couple of comments. I loved this series. Inconceivable for a man as young as Tichel to serve as a bridge officer aboard a ship like the Chimera. Now, he looked down at the equally young man at the engineering monitor. Now, in contrast, the Chimera had virtually no one aboard except young men and women. Slowly, Pelion let his eyes sweep across the bridge, feeling the echoes of old anger and hatred twist through his stomach. There had been many commanders in the fleet, he knew, who had seen the Emperor's original Death Star as a blatant attempt to bring the Empire's vast military power more tightly under his direct control, just as he had already done with the Empire's political power. 
the, the, uh, the, the this book takes place in the, in the Star Wars universe that uh, from the first series of movies, and uh, so some of those same characters are around, and there's, those are handled very well. It's not, you know, that can be a very difficult thing to do, especially when they're very well established characters that we all really mm-hmm. know, and we kind of know how they talk and how they think. It's done. It's just done amazing. It was a great read. Uh, that particular one's thirteen hours, and again, if you use the link in our show notes, and it's your first time, you get it for free. And uh, if it's not your first time, if you're already a member. Definitely worth spending your credits on on that one. I just I just loved it, Heather, and thank you for, oh, yeah. for recommending it. Oh, not a problem. The Thrawn trilogy is one of the the big moments in Star Wars. Loads of people love that. That'd be yeah. you know, among the top favorite stories. I've already heard, not just rumors, but I've already heard rumors that they might base the new movies off of them. Wouldn't that be something? I mean, I, uh, just a rumor. There's the rumors, and then they came out and they said, nope. Oh, they did? Oh! This, right, well, cool. uh, we have the, the audio and they're really good. Yeah, yeah, the new movies are still going to follow the Skywalker line, but it's going to be after the movies. Uh, There's rumor, well, uh, sort of uh, rumor that's been sort of confirmed that you might see some older versions of past actors. I did see some of that, yeah. Oh, all right. Okay. Well, that's uh, uh, there. You go. There you go. That's your that's your little Star Wars update inside. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. In the, the middle news. of science. Just go to the news bite. <laughs> Although that is uh, sort of sciencey too. All right, Heather, what is our uh, first story in the news bite? All right, DARPA. That is a U.S. military defense sort of takes a wild look on various technologies. Now they're launching a far out neighborhood watch, sort of, but <sighs> not burglars. More like amateur watchdogs tracking orbital debris <sighs> from you know satellite collisions and that such. It's a sky monitoring project called Spaceview from Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA. That's the words I was looking for. So they're looking to enroll the talents of amateur astronomers, actually. Okay. Now, a lot of amateur astronomers actually you know, look for meteors or this type of thing. They watch space debris. This is specifically going after those people. So they're looking for a really diverse um, data set from all over, the, all over the world, really, from different geographic locations. And it's kind of looked to be as a long-term project. So a long-term project. So you can do, maybe do time sharing on telescopes. Or if you have a you know, location, I know um, observatory back home, there was a group of astronomers who had a small telescope there. And they watched, they tried to track for meteors. And they found so many. But if you have that sort of a base and they start producing you know, results and data or readings, then you could actually get upgraded hardware for the site or financial compensation for your work. Mm. So it's kind of hoping to engage amateur astronomers, um, sort of purchase remote access to uh, already in use telescope or provide upgrades to possibly telescopes that you have. So it's kind of interesting combination here because there's a lot of people looking for that and actually providing sort of possible financial compensation for said things for doing what they already do or similar to what you already do. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, there are types of telescopes for astrophotography, asteroid hunting, as I was saying. So there's a lot of high, high quality astronomical telescopes out there already being used. So it's kind of a means to upgrade to maybe state of the art automated services, but you know, it'll, the process is going to start with just like a first dozen or so members, probably late in 2013. But it's an interesting first step that's kind of 
as on the whole, it's probably a lot cheaper to go out and say, hey, amateur astronomers, mm-hmm. we will give you some financial compensation should you, you know, meet certain requirements. Much cheaper than probably creating a whole different department and well, paying helps, all those people. It helps the market, too. It helps, oh, yeah. it helps con- those people fund that type of work, which oh, yeah. then encourages that type of work to exist. So it's a yes. good idea. Yes. So I it's like something it that... that too. Yeah, I do. I you know, was an amateur astronomer for many years, still am. So that kind of a program really interested me and caught my eye. So mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. really hoping that uh, that will go forward. And if anybody uh, out in the audience does that kind of thing or is interested in that kind of thing or know anybody, there's some links in the show notes that will lead you to the places of more knowledge. Mm, and speaking of people out there in the audience, someone has reached out this week and gotten a hold of us, and we have a little incoming <laughs> communications. We do. All right, what do we have here? Planetary alignment. Mercury, <laughs> Venus, Saturn, they will be yes. aligned over the Giza pyramids yeah, December yeah. 3rd. Yeah, yeah. yeah, okay, so that is true, but they're not going to be aligned perfectly over the pyramids. They're actually, they are going to be over them, kind of grouped together, but more vertically aligned than horizontally. Okay. And Not quite they as do, exciting. No, not quite as exciting. And they don't, this isn't a once-in-a-lifetime event. They aligned... In a very similar formation back in uh, 2007. So <laughs> this, it happens. They oh, get together. Still neat though. Yeah. All right. Okay. You well, happen to be, it's good you to know, know. In, around Thanks the for, pyramids. I saw, you saw that I, you saw, I saw that it was, it was spread on Google plus that night. And I was like, I, I, this looks really cool, but it was debunked in the thread pretty much. And so there you yeah. go. There's the final word on it. All right, Heather. Well, uh, we also have a few stories here that uh, have some upgrades. That's right. The Higgs boson, what they call the God particle. Yeah. But the Higgs boson, you know, had a whole bunch of data and it came out and they're like, it's a Higgs. Can we say it's a Higgs boson? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, not yet. We need more information. So all the, there's been a couple of months of data now and everything is still looking very promising. Very Higgsy. Very Higgs boson-y. Uh. Now, in fact, the all the data coming out is very strictly following the standard model of particle physics which kind of is eliminating or limiting um, extensions to the laws of physics and the, the universe and particles. Okay. All right. One of those, huh? Yes. So supersymmetry is a proposal that every elemental particle has a heavier, um, as unyet seen, cousin. Natural. One of the ideas that, sure. well, of course, you know, the, one of the, those are one of the ideas that could be dark energy, is that there is some counterpart to it some evil twin that you can't see just, from a parallel universe yeah okay but it's 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 ruling that out everything is that the evidence so far says that that doesn't exist okay. that okay. following a specific set of rules you know these things should happen there should be a molecule um, breaking up or getting to smaller particles degrading at a specific rate in specific areas and it's all following that so, the reigning theory of particles and physics and forces, this, what they call the standard model, is still looking pretty good, which is good and bad because should it hold up, it's still a lot of questions. Because there are some things that don't completely make sense following the standard model, which is why they were trying to find these way out of control well, not out of control, but really strange out there ideas that say, hey, well, if this happened, we think we could make everything work. We're pretty sure. Mm. But it's it's constraining the more 
um, novel ideas of physics. So that's <laughs> that's also that's also part of what's going on there. But huh. we shall see. Yes. Okay. Wow. I I look forward to uh, future updates. I, I'm thank you for keeping us updated on that because that is obviously a big story. All right, yeah. Heather. Well, the uh, Say by 2000 has a printout report here. Oh, looks like it's time for a spacecraft update. That is right. Kepler, the space telescope that has given us so many planetary candidates. Yeah. Like 2,300 and confirmed actually more than 100 of those. Ah. So they've bit their milestone of, you know, they've completed their three and a half prime mission. And now they have been granted an extended mission that could last as long as another four years. I, I am surprised. And this story uh, broke, what, last week, right? I, I'm surprised I think so. uh, that it was the original mission was so short. Well, they come through and they say this will be a specific mission length. Now, sometimes that's due to budget, fuel, well, budget or fuels, but budget is a lot of it. So they'll have a say, like, okay, we're going to charge this instrument up for so many years of service. Now we're going to run it to a certain point and then we, all these type of projects go up. They say, all right, these 10 projects are up for renewal or sorry, thank you for joining the team. So they come back and of course this would be fairly obvious to me as a one to be re-upped because it is providing so much data and it's really in the public view as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a, it's providing incredible scientific data. It's like a, it's a great example of uh, uh, the advances of American science. Yeah, I mean, it's the first. Um, it helped discover the first planetary system with more than one planet. It did the first um, rock solid evidence that there was a rocky planet outside the solar system, about a little under one and a half times the size of Earth. It has confirmed the. Uh, worlds around double sunsets. Hmm. Six, you know, of that six additional worlds can orbit a double star, mm-hmm. just so that they can do all this. The first planet with a ha- in the habitable zone. You know, they've found two over two thousand three hundred planetary candidates, and there's so. And they were actually, you know, as I mentioned on a sidebite a few weeks ago, that they're joining with amateur astronomers on their website, and that actually led to the first case of a planet orbiting a double star. There's so many different um, things coming out of this mm-hmm. that it's just really, really exciting. Now that we're getting into this longer time frame, actually be some planets that will not have been able to be discovered until now because it takes, mm-hmm. you know, three times to see it before you can be sure that it's there. Now the orbit of Earth is a year. So over a three and a half year mission, there is a six month period of time where you would have been able to see a planet that's orbited as long as the Earth, because you would need those those repetitions. So this continuing on of the mission for another possibly four years would allow for much more evidence and confirmation of these planets that are slower. Um, slower orbits than some of these fast ones. Right, they which just is take more, more time to observe. Yeah, take more time to observe and are typically more close to what you would, what I would believe would be in the habitable zone. Things that are in stable orbit, not going so fast, um, you know, in the habitable zone for things 
the most Earth-like that you could get, I would imagine you wouldn't be able to start seeing them until this extended mission. Oh. Well, there you go. That's well, good thing they got that extended mission. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like I said, it was. there are lots of pro- different projects that come up for re-up every year, and some of them are very, very obvious Pretty that they're going to be approved. Yeah. yeah, you're like, everybody else is like, well, that's one slot less for us. Right. Yeah, they're going to get it for sure. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Well, now, speaking of something that should keep getting funding, uh, got a little space station update too, don't we? We do. So the Expedition 3233 uh, team actually left the space station on November the 18th after spending 127 days in space. Wow. So... And actually, the crew that left had a combined time of, in space of about three years. These people had been in space a lot yeah, over no the of their lifetime. Holy cow. Now, what was funny is, you know, you, we've seen the, the landing pictures before, and a lot of people get worried because you'll see like a little puff, thinking maybe that's what's, you know, what's happening. It's just the landing, um, yeah. you know, get gusts going off right at the last second. But there is actually no footage of this one. Well, it was dark, and it landed well away from the planned landing spot. Oh, really? Oops. Yeah, the the parachute deployed five seconds later than planned. And that means they were several miles away from the planned, planned site. But there, were, you know, there was a recovery team, and as a personnel, they were able to reach them by helicopter shortly after. If you look at the, the videos and stuff, they're very bundled because it is cold. It is cold. Yeah, they, they landed in, in they landed in uh, Kazakhstan. Yes, Kazakhstan at this time of the year is very cold. Yeah, but so the three remaining members on the space station, uh, beginning Expedition Thirty Four, they have a combined in space experience of about three months. Uh. Now these are the the remaining people are the ones who uh, got there in the just before the weeks before the Dragon spacecraft. You know, the first privately funded right. Um, that brought its crew, it brought its uh, cargo along. Yeah. So, and we'll have another um, set of astronauts scheduled to launch in December uh, 19th for a five month stay. So, we're continue the rolling, uh, the rolling crew of the space station. Wow, very nice. Well, uh, the uh, the three years in space—that's quite impressive. Yeah. That's that's mad respect. Well, what do you say uh, we go to check out what's going on with Curiosity? Let's go. And lift off of the Atlas V with curiosity. Touchdown confirmed. We're safe on the That's right. That's right. That's a freaking wheel right there. It oh, all right, sorry. is. <laughs> okay, so what's going on? I've heard a uh, lot of rumors this week. Yes, there's been a lot of rumors. Well, one, that they've got uh, radiation levels from the surface of Mars, and it's actually roughly similar to those experienced by astronauts in low Earth orbit. Oh, so survivable. So oh, yeah. It's about half as high as, you know, they it experienced just cruising through space. So it's actually more evidence that astronauts could indeed function on, you know, on the surface of Mars for li- limited stretches of time. Awesome. I mean, it's kind of interesting because Mars's atmosphere is only about 1% as thick as Earth, but it does provide a significant amount of shielding. It's much less, uh, the level, radiation levels are much less than a lot of people expected. Now, the, I mean, it even lacks a magnetic field. Well, 
that gives Earth another layer of protection. But the findings that they announced were preliminary. I mean, they've only been on, Mon- uh, on Mars three months into a two-year planned mission, you know, as a base mission. So we're going to see how that goes forward and see how they continue with that data. Now, and the actual hard numbers for those lever- levels are going to be planned to be released at a American Geophysical Conference on December 3rd. Mm. Okay. Now, where the twist comes in is that a NPR radio interview with the Curiosity Rover's principal investigator actually said that the team will soon make an announcement, quote, for the history books. Yeah, it's been, I've seen a headline saying uh, NASA is withholding historic information soon to be announced or something like that. Yeah. Historic, now, that gets people talking. Well, yes, but I kind of hold back for a moment because people yeah. hear that and they're like, there's there's green goo on Mars. It's crawling around. No. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah, but no. Anyway, the more exciting sounding the news for them means the longer they're going to wait. Many scientists in various fields you know, are very excited. They announce something and then, oh, wait. Hmm. hmm. Maybe they don't travel faster than the speed of light. Maybe, you know, cold fusion doesn't work as well as we thought it did. There are a lot of different events like that. So scientists are very cautious about announcing something yeah. of any great magnitude. You're right. So, you, you know, just to be good, you want to have the right amount of data to prove your said results. And the more exciting, you want to prove it even farther. <laughs> right. Because you want to be You're extra like, sure. <laughs> all right. This is pretty cool. Everyone think about how they can disprove this and go. Right. So then you, you try to figure out all the ways that it could not be true. Everyone, all the things that people could say against it. So... I think that, well, the last instrument that was used at that site, at the first site that they'd been parked at for a little while, was the SAM, the Sample Analysis at Mars. Yeah. It's, you know, used to look for organic compounds. Now, organic compounds does not mean living anything. It's just looking for uh, abundance of light elements like hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, those kind of things that are needed for life to exist, but not looking, doesn't necessarily mean there is life. It's like there's wood. It doesn't mean it's a house. You kind of are, you know, walls that are kind of required to make a house, but it doesn't mean that there's necessarily just a wall. So my guess is that they are going to confirm Definitely going to confirm that surface radiation levels um, are don't preclude life. So mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that you know life can exist there for a period of time without any additional shielding. And that's definitely one announcement that they will make. Um, one that they have alluded to that they were going to announce the the hard numbers for that. So that's definitely going to be one thing that they're, they're going to say. But the more rest than of that, it, don't you think? Don't you think there's more because of historic? I mean, historic? That, that is historic and one for the books. Obviously, that kind yeah, of leads to... Yeah, for the to, nerd books, but not one to get the public excited <laughs> about in, in an NPR uh, interview. Well, you want to hype up your, your data. That makes sense. 
I don't know because you that that and I think something NASA should be aware of, and I think they are aware of it. If you overhype and underdeliver, uh, yeah, that's not good for public opinion. No, so I think there will be further analysis. Um, like I said, the SAM instrument was the last thing used, and they actually kept a scoop of additional um, dirt from that location. They're kind of driving with it. So they could repeat all their tests without even being right there. Hmm, clever. So, What do you think? Totally- Something so, in the dirt? I think. What I think is going to happen is that they're going to say they have you know, an abundance of those, of hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen. Um, it's possible that they will say that there is evidence for organic compounds. Now, it's possible that there would be simple hydrocarbons, um, very short combinations with carbon attached to other molecules. It doesn't necessarily mean there's life on Mars. Now, very unlikely is that there is nitrogen or methane or something that they see, which would more indicate life or something of that nature. But I really do think that they're just going to say, one, radiation levels are okay. Two, we see organic compounds, which means the radiation wouldn't kill everything on the surface of Mars. These two things go well together. They do go very well together. And as I said, there is a chance that they're actually going to say, so the two of them will go together. It's possible they'll say some simple hydrocarbons are there. But we shall see. And actually, the initial results will be and um, two bites from now. They're going to make part of the announcement. The whole conference will start on the day that uh, Cybite is filmed, two, days, two weeks from now. And so it'll be that one or the week after them actually able to say more about what's going on. Okay. For sure. I look forward to that. Yes. All right. Very cool, Heather. Well, that sounds like some, any, anything else on that. No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, then uh, hop into the nice, newly clean time machine. It's time to go back. Clean it for the holidays? Yeah, well, we had the week off, over? so I vacuumed. Oh, okay. Yeah, I oh, figured okay. why not. I could just, you know, figure I'd clean up a little bit in here. All right. So yeah. our destination takes us to 15 years ago, December 1st, 1997 in this week in science. Yes. Eight planets from our solar system lined up. East to west, Pluto, Mercury, Mars, Venus, Neptune, Uranus, Jupiter, Saturn actually had the moon alongside them. But it was a rare alignment of all the planets and a very, very nice straight line. Lasted until December 8th. And then, so Mercury, Mars, Venus, Jupiter, and Saturn were all visible to the naked eye. And then Jupiter and Venus, obviously the far, far the brightest. You could actually see with a good pair of binoculars or a telescope, Uranus and Neptune, and Pluto only by a good telescope. But they were all aligned. Um, They aligned similarly close in May of 2000, but they were, it was too close to the sun for us to be able to actually see it from Earth. Oh, so we missed the show. Yeah, but that's okay. It was still there. The next one will be about in 100 years. Now, I remember there being a lot of hype like, oh no, all the planets will align. Yeah, yes. Gravity will destroy everything uh, i had a family member who believed that uh the all the planets aligning would cause an asteroid to strike washington state because of, they would channel 
the gravity in such a way, and that uh, our only hope was to move to the mountains, and that oh. would somehow save us from the asteroid. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's crazy. Now that I think yeah. about it as an adult. All right, Heather. Well, uh, let me retune the side by 2000 here so we can look up into the sky this week. That's right. We've got some interesting sunspots going on right now. There's one actually that is doubling in size. Over the last two days, it continues to double. Ooh. It's now about 10 times um, more than the width of the Earth. <laughs> just the sunspot? Yeah, just the sunspot. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Well, it's been relatively quiet so far, but the magnetic fields are now starting to look like they're changing and not so level, which pretty much leads everyone to believe that it's going to produce a flare by the size of it, uh, about a 35% chance. Now, M-class flares are kind of medium-sized. They can cause brief radio blackouts and affect the pol in the uh, polar regions. Oh. So we'll get aurora, some radio blackouts, things of that nature. There's so a, there's a 35% chance we could get one of those doozies, huh? Yeah, not that a, not a huge doozy, but yeah. a doozy. Doozy. Oh, okay. Well, better watch out for that then. Yep. And otherwise, on Wednesday, November the 28th, in the early evening, look to the moon, and Jupiter will be close into the upper left of the moon, and a star, Aldebaran, the Eye of Taurus, that's a reddish one, to the right of the moon. So Jupiter will be to the upper left of the moon on Wednesday. And if you look on Friday, November the 30th, about an hour after the end of twilight, you'll still see the moons rising just to the right, uh, more than about a fifth's width at arm's length. You're going to see the orange-red um, star Betelgeuse. And that is in the constellation Orion. That's his shoulder. And that one's a pretty pretty large, pretty easy to... Um, constellation to be able to see so and this week in general planetary announcements uh venus and saturn just before dawn are going to be together in the southeast with saturn to the lower left huh. and mars will be around in early twilight in the evening twilight low in the southwest okay low in the southwest for mars that's that red dot right there i'm totally you know Partial not biased towards. No, 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 no. I mean, no, yeah, not partial. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, partial. I mean, wait, what? Nope, nothing. Uh, no. All right, folks. Well, there you go. There's SciBite, and uh, I encourage you to join us next week live, December 4th at uh, 7.30 p.m. Pacific for uh, SciBite. You can star in our chat room. And, of course, you can always download the show Wednesday mornings. Uh, last Saturday, we had a SciBite marathon on the Jupiter radio. So if you uh, haven't checked that out, go to jblive.info and listen to the radio stream. we got stuff on there all the time. Sometimes a SciBite marathon. Heather, thank you for the great show. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in this week's episode of SciBite. We'll see you right back here next week.